Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you for joining us on this week's edition of Utah Weekly Forum. I'm your host, Rebecca Cressman, and this month, our broadcast family, FM 100.3, KSL TV, and KSL Radio kicked off a campaign called Healthy Mind Matters in partnership with Intermountain Healthcare and Select Health. And throughout the next year, we'll be working together to help address some of the very serious health concerns we have right here in Utah. Our focus will be on a few key areas, uh, substance abuse, suicide prevention, mental health awareness, and other related issues that hit very close to all of our homes. So joining me in studio now are KSL TV's anchor and investigative reporter, Mike Hedrick. Mike, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule Glad and joining us. Glad to be us. here. No, thanks for having me. Also, KSL TV producer, Candace Madsen. So thank you, Candace. Thank you. We'll be talking about your role in this as well. And in a few minutes, we'll be joined with KSL News Radio's um, anchor, Maria Chaleos. Uh, she'll join us from her perspective as what she is sharing on KSL News Radio. So, my first thought uh, when we were exposed to the Healthy Mind Matters campaign was how perfect it was because, as television reporters, hosts, producers, uh, radio, whatever, we are constantly um, weaving our lives with the those of our community. And when we started to learn just how serious some of these issues were, I got to tell you, I took a deep breath. So I I want to talk with you a bit, uh, just personally, what has it been like for you to have your eyes open to realize just how serious, I'll I'll just say this, Utah, uh, number seven in the nation in opioid deaths, the the worst Western state in the country for opioid deaths, suicide, one of the highest risks for our teens. There's just a lot happening. So how did you feel, Mike, when you learned about the seriousness of some of these issues in our state? Well, it's it's shocking. I mean, first you hear those numbers and and you're shocked. And I think some of that shock comes from the little bubble I may live in and I may not be seeing some of those things. And so that's why those numbers can be shocking, at least in my personal life. But again, considering what we do each and every day, we report on these things. So that part, maybe it wasn't so shocking. But sometimes as a reporter, as I'm out in the field, whether I'm anchoring at the desk, um, there is there is a little bit of a disconnect there. I hear stories and I can't internalize everything and then go home because all of a sudden I'm just depressed and uh, I'm not a fun person to be around. And so there's got to be compartmentalization for me on that. And so there's a little bit of a disconnect. Now, with that, when I go home and I deal with stuff with my kids, I mean, you hear things from your kids and their friends, and there's a concern. When you talk about depression and suicide, um, all of a sudden when we've interviewed people, I take that information, I take it home, and what are some of the triggers? I'm looking at some stuff in my kids, and I'm wondering, okay, uh, my one son, is he kind of depressed right now? Why is he acting this way? In fact, um, he one of my boys has a football coach. He had him a few years ago, and in the middle of the football game on a Saturday, 
his coach gets a phone call that his son had committed suicide. And it was the closest I had become to something like that, to where it became a little more personal. And his reaction, it was just, it was heartbreaking. And he had multiple children who had committed suicide. And so I had multiple conversations with him. And it was interesting because my one boy is shy who plays football. And he's, he was always concerned about it. He'd come up to me after practice. He's like, hey, is he okay? You know, I, I, I just want to make sure he's okay. So it was nice to know that there was someone else kind of looking out for him for maybe possible signs. But, uh, yeah, those are the things that uh, when you have something, I, I think a lot of people have had something touch them closely. Uh, that's when you think, okay, I need to start addressing this or at least looking for some of these signs of what can we do? Right. And I appreciate that. And that seems to be the natural reaction. Okay. I might not have been aware of the seriousness of substance abuse addiction in our state. I might not have been aware of the prevalence of suicide. I might not have been aware of the serious issue of mental health that we have in the state. But now I know. And my next step is I want to change this. I want to feel like we can do this. And, I, and that's the beauty of having these microphones and these stations is we can say, this is the story. This is what we're facing. But here's how we're going to work together as a community. Right. And I think the key is there is lots that we can do. And that's what I've learned. And I think that is what this campaign is all about. And the first thing is talking, is having those honest discussions with our family, with our friends about not only suicide and drug addiction, but just your overall mental health. How are you feeling? How how's your anxiety? I mean, we we take care of our heart. We try to eat healthy. We exercise. You know, we try to do all these things so we can live long. But I think our brains, we just don't realize that that is the most important organ in our bodies. And those get sick just like any other organ in the body. And so I think, you know, with this campaign, we're taking away the fear, we're taking away the unknown, and we're learning the things that are effective that can help our families and can help us personally. I think back to one of the changes, and I appreciate that, um, is now when I think about the annual checkup at a doctor, and we used to call it a physical, whatever it may be, we were only concerned really with uh, neck down, Mm -hmm. how's that body functioning. Now we are going to change, and it's changing now, where primary care physicians are going to say, how are you feeling? How, how Have you struggled with depression? How are your relationships with your family? Are you able to work? How are things going? So that the diagnosis of our overall health includes our mental health in addition to our physical health. And there's no shame in those symptoms. You know, you wouldn't feel shame if you were having heart problems or if you were having trouble breathing. But I think sometimes there's a shame in admitting, I do feel depressed or I'm fearful, or I have this anxiety and I'm afraid to leave my house. I mean, those are very real fears for people. But when we start talking about it, you realize a lot of people are dealing with these issues, and they're very treatable. And I think a lot of people look at it as weakness. Right. Like this is, I, I don't want to display this weakness. Even though I'm feeling these things, I don't want to talk to anyone about it because it makes me weak and people are going to think I'm weak. And I think that's also probably a common thing that people think. Especially among men. Right. And so it's very insightful that that, as we look as uh, our community, the, the conversations we need to have, number one, as Mike brought up, mental health challenges are so common. I wish I had the stat in front of me. But in our own lifetime, chances are if we don't experience an episode of depression 
uh, that's serious once. At least 50% right, right, of people are going right, to have and, a serious. Right. right. And we may each have different ebbs and flows and our own experiences with that. And, and like any other potential disease, if we get the treatment and, and possible medication and we address it, we can pull and heal from that. We have to look at it from a more um, objective viewpoint. Something that Mike said, Candace, uh, resonated with me as well. When it hit home, suicide hit uh, close to home for his family. Um, the conversation at the dinner table or his conversation as a father with a son, um, you become tuned in and, and how your son is feeling. And often as part of these conversations, we're saying, let's have these conversations before an event happens. Right. Let's, let's and be direct. Children. Go ahead. We need to be direct. Ask your child, have you thought of hurting yourself? You know, or how do you feel in this moment? Do you want to cause harm to yourself? And a lot of times with kids, it's so impulsive. They don't, they don't understand that it can be a permanent, you know, decision that they make with suicide. They just want to escape the pain in the moment. Part of the problem, I think, as a parent of being that direct is you're, you're fearful of thinking, well, maybe they've never had these thoughts before. Right. And am I putting these thoughts in their head? If I'm saying, hey, have you ever thought of hurting yourself or whatever it may be? That's that's the at least for me when you say that. That's what I think. I'm like, I don't know if I want to pop that in his head because I don't know if he's thinking that. And then all of a sudden, you know how a child's mind, right. you know, it's just going to go off and think, "What's Dad talking about? Hurt myself? What do you mean hurt myself?" And so that's part of the struggle too as a parent. Yeah, and they and they've they have done a lot of research on that though, and they found that talking about it does not does not lead to suicide. It prevents it. It actually opens the door to very intimate conversations about their mental health in general. Which is good to know because I did not know that. Yeah. And so that's the fear of if I, you know, if I put the thought in his head, all of a sudden it could become a reality. Right. And, and one of the things, one of the uh, specialists I talked to once said, sometimes to begin that conversation, you can begin with, do you have a friend you're concerned about? Have you seen a friend that seems to be struggling with not feeling good or, or depressed or has talked about hurting his or herself? In other words, I am a safe person. I am concerned about issues of mental health. And then bridge from that, how about you? And, and then we start to see that we as a family, as a community, we care and, and realize that these struggles are part of all of our lives. And so we want to open the door, open the channel of, of communication. I need to, to say that Mike Hedrick, of course, for those who have joined us, is an investigative reporter and a news anchor, and he'll be covering some of these stories throughout the year. Candace Matson is a uh, special projects producer, and you might have read some of her work on Desert News as well. But uh, often behind the scenes, Candace, you are um, learning more in depth about these stories. And, and this is one uh, campaign that you have, have dived into dove into dived into right and and really it's it's an honor um to work on this and it, i it's a privilege and i'm so grateful for the families over the years that have shared their stories with me in hopes of of helping other families and every family i talk to they just want to get the message out there's hope you know whether you've lost a loved one to suicide or a drug addiction um, if your if your family member is struggling with mental illness, it, it can be such an isolating and lonely thing for a family to deal with a serious mental health issue. Um, and but there is hope, and I think for a lot of families, the struggle is real to find help and to find resources. And and one of the things is because there is more awareness, I think more people are seeking help. But we have to be realistic; there is a lack of resources. But a lot is being done 
um, to overcome that and to get people to the right hair to the white to the right help and and when they get that help, the outcome is so positive. One of the uh, physicians that I met with Intermountain Healthcare, Doctor Scott Whittle, he made a parallel, and I want to share this before I, I let you go. And I appreciate you guys uh, coming up and, and joining me in the studio. He said, you know, years ago, go back to the 1970s, the word cancer was whispered. Uh, if a member of the family had it, they usually shut themselves off into the house. Kids didn't even know their parent was struggling with it. Uh, maybe parents or family members weren't uh, invited into the hospital room. It was just not spoken about. And then we started speaking about it. And then we started getting more treatment and more research fu- research funds. And then we were able to save people's lives. And, and we were able to, with the correct medication and treatment, save so many people from cancer. And he said, I see this with uh, mental health challenges, whether it be suicide prevention or addiction. I see this as similarly. We haven't talked about it openly. But now that we're going to talk about it, as long as we get the correct treatment, the medication, and the resources to that individual, they can recover and not have to go so far down the journey that it's difficult for them to be to be healed. And that was hopeful to me. Like, we've done this as a community uh, before, and, and we can do this as a country, I should say, before, and we can do this again. Candace Madsen of KSL-TV, a producer, you can watch for her stories and also read them at Desert News. Mike Hedrick, uh, co-anchors our news on KSL-TV, an investigative reporter, will be watching for your stories. Thank you so much for joining FM 100.3 and KSL News Radio on this combined effort, Healthy Mind Matters. Thank you. Yeah, Thank thanks you. for having us. As promised, Maria Chaleos of KSL News Radio's National News Desk and one of the hosts of Healthy Mind Matters is in the studio with us now. Maria, thank you so much for coming Rebecca, in. Rebecca, such a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. You know, it's interesting because my role with FM 100.3 has me involved in uh, researching and looking through some of these issues we talked about, mm-hmm. which are suicide, depression, mental health overall, addiction, right, and substance abuse, um, the opioid role in the um, opioid deaths that we've had, the crisis in the state, and then producing a two-minute uh, radio feature each week and sharing that information on FM100.com. And we have some promos that are airing. We are trying to be a part, a communicator of these issues and, and connect people to resources. Your role in KSL News Radio is even deeper than that. Tell us a little bit about your role. So what I am doing is hosting a one-hour program where we have the experts come in on a particular topic for the day for Healthy Mind Matters. And they bring with them just the most wonderful people that give such great insights. So not only do you have the doctor who is an expert in whatever topic it is that we're talking about, but you also have a patient who has actually experienced these things, a family member, and then we provide community resources for people. So we will have somebody from the state health department or one of the local health departments talking about what resources are really available. And this is so important because as a journalist, I'm frustrated. I can't get enough information out. When you have, you know, a story that's a minute long, you can't get all the information out. But this program, allows us to kind of dive deep and talk to the experts and then talk about exactly what kind of conversations families should be having with their children or with other family members who are really struggling with some of these problems. What's interesting, one of the goals um, is to not only connect, to raise awareness about the issues, provide resources, but is to change the tone, the way we talk about that. And that's something that you've addressed in your shows 
as well. So when we say change the tone, we are saying be more comfortable to be open about the struggles that you are having. Be more open with your physicians about your mental health struggles. Talk to re- or seek out resources that are in your community. Stop hiding right. something that could possibly be treated. Have that discussion with your doctors about what kinds of medications you're getting and how those are really going to impact your life or how they could impact your life. You know, have you know, do your research on these things. You need to know when you're prescribed an, prescribed an opioid um, if you have that genetic thing that uh, makes you an an addict, I'll yeah, say susceptible that word, to addiction, sure, susceptible to mm-hmm. addiction, um, two or three doses can land you in trouble, which and, is breathtaking. And that is coming from our medical community. They're saying, "Hey, this is what we found. This is really a problem, and we need to learn how to deal with this problem because we have people who are in pain. We need to make sure that we handle pain, but we need to do it in a way that we are knowledgeable about how we are prescribing these things and letting people know." Hey, you don't want opioids just sitting around your house. Just this week, uh, President uh, Donald Trump announced that we have a public, public health. health emergency. And he's talking about opioids. Right. And the reason this is so important is thousands of people die every year. We're talking thousands of people who are dying. Only 10% of the people who have an opioid addiction are getting treatment. 10%. 90% are not getting access to treatment, which is the step towards uh, being able to recover. Right. And Mm -hmm. this is huge because if you don't get treatment, you're not going to recover. And if you don't get treatment, you're more likely to be doing some sort of other crime to get all of these drugs that you need to sustain your addiction, right? And we have jails full of people who need treatment, not jail time, because the underlying factor is their addiction or their mental health issue. As you brought up the fact that this, there's tens of thousands of Americans that are dealing with the ramifications of opioids, too many in our community. Uh, one quote I heard was that on any particular day, I believe it, they said that physicians will prescribe 3,000 opioids in one day in Utah. So you look at the national crises, and then we say, how is it happening here at home? We are seventh in the nation for opioid deaths. That Mm -hmm. means um, the problem is greater here in Utah. There is no doubt about it. The one thing that declaring a public health emergency does that I didn't mention is it frees up federal funds to actually go into public awareness campaigns and treatment campaigns, make those resources available to more people. And that is going to be huge. And and as we talk about that, the resources, most people say, I don't even know where to begin. When I am faced with a loved one who is dealing with a substance abuse or an addiction, I don't even know where the first step is, let alone finding sophisticated rehabilitation. So we've got to make those connections. Right. And it, it's a difficult, difficult subject to talk about when you are personally impacted by this. Um, people are embarrassed. They are afraid that they are going to be judged. And so when you talk about changing the conversation, it it's also about not judging people for such a problem that is prevalent. And many of these people didn't do anything. They Nobody plans to be addicted. Do you know what I mean? Nobody plans that. So they're in a place where they didn't plan to be They didn't do anything to be there. I mean, if you're given a prescription for pain, you certainly aren't thinking. Since the overwhelming uh, amount, overwhelmingly, those who are struggling with opioid addiction started with prescription pain pills. So you're saying we started doing something that the doctor recommended. Right. So you started doing something the doctor recommended. But then when you found out is uh, the doctor is no longer going to give you those pain pills because you should be over that pain. And suddenly you realize you're addicted. And you know what? It's a lot cheaper to buy heroin.
And that's why we are seeing so many people turn to heroin to to fulfill that need that they have. And it is a need. I appreciate Their body needs it. I appreciate that you were saying changing the tone in terms of uh, being compassionate and non-judgmental about those who have developed a, a dependency or an addiction on to the medications. And I read one quote and it said, "Often we look at addiction as a moral weakness versus a medical condition." And so, if we are to take a deep breath and say, "This isn't about the morality or the uh, competency of me as a parent." Mm-hmm. This isn't about the the value of me as an individual. This is just about my body reacting chemically to a substance and needing treatment to be able to recover from that. Right. And we are talking about biological things. People don't want to think about depression as being biological, but it is biological. It makes changes in your brain, which impact how you react, right? So we have to talk about all of the underlying factors And we can't be looking at them in a way that, for example, I had a doctor tell me this week, you know, when I have patients come to me for diabetes, 90% get treatment. But if somebody's struggling from depression, which has that biological factor in it, uh, maybe 10% get treatment. How can we solve some of these problems if people are unwilling to get treatment for fear of being judged, for fear of being stereotyped? And from a lack of understanding, um, we have, if you think about your early years from, I'll, I'll throw a Girl Scouts or Boy Scouts mm-hmm, or whatever mm-hmm. it may be, we're taught first aid, what to do when your body, something's wrong with the body. You do this, you go that, you see this, you go to Instacare for this. We have assumed that if you had the will and the mental capacity and the right spirit, you could overcome a mental health um, challenge, whether that was depression or not. And that is a fallacy. It is a myth. It's incorrect information that has been passed on for hundreds of years. We've now have been able to look at the brain and understand it and say, wait a minute, let's go back to the comparison of diabetes right. and re- realize that we're talking about a brain disease that for some people will be long term, but can still be managed with treatment and with therapy and, and medicine. For some of us, it may be a time period in our life. There may be three or four time periods in our life when we deal with it. Each of those, we are to seek help treatment, resources, support to be able to move through that. And again, it's the understanding of, for example, we're talking about depression. And you really need to look at depression like, I mean, some of us get depressed because something bad happens to us. And that's just, that just happens, right? We have things that we deal with in our life. and We might need some help with that. But we're talking about underlying depression, people who struggle with depression and just will not seek help because they don't want to be judged. And it goes in your medical records. So people think, People are going to be able to see that I have this mental illness. I'm suffering from depression. And yet it's so pre- prevalent. Yes. So is every third person uh, or, or down uh, mm-hmm. down the road, your neighbors all around you. So it's called Healthy Mind Matters. Again, FM100.com and FM100.3 will be sharing that information. When is your show, Maria? My show airs on Sunday from 11 to 12. Okay, on KSL and News you can Radio. you find it on the podcast as well. Okay, go to KSL.com or which website? KSLnewsradio.com or you can find it on the Apple iTunes app. Oh, there you go. So the podcast is there and yours is called Healthy Mind Matters? Exactly. All right, look for that. You'll be watching as we started the show with some interviews with KSL TV producer Candace Madsen and KSL TV News anchor and investigative reporter Mike Hedrick. You'll also be watching television stories about these issues. The goal to raise awareness, 
to encourage us as a community to step up in whatever role that may be as patients, as parents, as healthcare providers, um, to do our part to try to reduce the stigma and increase awareness and support and treatment options. And as loving neighbors. Yeah. You know, reach out to your neighbors. We're not alone in this. We're all together. Love thy neighbor. Maria Chaleos, thank you so much for joining us on this week's edition of Utah Weekly Forum. You don't need to be a news expert to recognize the truth. That Utah is experiencing an epidemic of depression, suicide, and prescription opioid misuse. But here's another truth. All of us can learn to take positive action to help make certain these issues don't devastate the lives of our families, friends, and loved ones. That's why our stations are joining together to bring you information and resources you need to fight these very real but solvable problems. Because a healthy mind matters.